I mean, you know, it's uh, sometimes that's just how it be. Uh, I mean, hey, we've all seen we've all seen those situations play out in real life, IRL. Not that that's not real life, but you know, it's it's fake real life. Celebrities don't count. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, speaking of uh, celebrities, <laughs> let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. <laughs> Tell you what, man, a whole lot more people know the name of Nehemiah than the name of Justin Bieber. Maybe not in the United States, but <laughs> over history. <laughs> Before Justin Bieber were alive, not people now. already knew who Nehemiah was. Pans? Any what? Pans? Handouts? No, pens. Pens? Ooh, that's actually a good question. They're probably out there. I know, yeah. <laughs> standard, uh, standard affairs. Taylor going and finding the pens. Where have they gone? Here we go. Oh, they're on the left of the stage. Left of the stage. All right. Lol. <laughs> Alex is like, you you noticed where they were and you didn't grab them. What is this? Oh man. But anyways, Nehemiah chapter six. So I think it's been a hot second since we've been going through Nehemiah, because last time was your dad came and talked about Revelation, and then before that was Nehemiah, so it's been a month since we've gone through Nehemiah, and then we had another break when I was going through Daniel 3 in the main service, so we've, this, this is very short series, this has been spaced out a lot, but we're back in Nehemiah. So does anyone remember what's happening in Nehemiah as we talk about it? What's the scoop in Nehemiah? Yes, they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Who is Nehemiah? Prophet. Uh, not a prophet. The leader, kind of? Well, I guess he wrote the book, so I guess maybe he kind of was a prophet. So he is the leader. He's the governor of Jerusalem. What was he doing before he came out to Jerusalem? Cupbearer. Cupbearer. Cupbearer to the king. That's right. So Nehemiah is coming on out here, and we are following Nehemiah's escapades as all of this stuff's going on, and he's like trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and stuff. So... What are, what's like the landscape? Are people happy that he's rebuilding the walls? Are people upset? Does he, is he facing opposition? Is everyone kind of down for it? Like what's going on? Are things good and dandy or are things hard? Things are hard. Things are hard. Sword everywhere you go. Carry a sword everywhere you go. They're like having to deal with, yeah, they're dealing with like death threats. So they're having to be armed as they work on the wall. So Nehemiah in last week, we talked about Nehemiah dealing with all the nobles and the leaders of Israel, the people who were like exploiting the poor people, selling them into slavery, buying their fields, you know, during the famine. So now we're coming back to chapter six and we're going to talk more about outside. We were talking about all the outside stuff. We talked about the inside stuff and now we're back to all of the opposition he's facing from outside. So Nehemiah chapter six, before I get into it, I want to ask you guys, what's two plus two? Four. So what would happen if everyone around you was telling you that 2 plus 2 is 5? They're idiots. They're idiots. A. In other words, what would 2 plus 2 still be? 4. 4. Right? This is like very basic. This is like 1984, the example that he used. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm quoting 1984. So the issue is, there are times where perhaps you're around a bunch of people and they're saying that 2 and 2 makes 5. And the issue is, does that change what 2 plus 2 actually is? No. The exact same way that if you wake up and everyone in the world suddenly thinks it's Tuesday, it doesn't magically become Tuesday, right? Actually. Well, I mean, okay, fine, whatever. That one's a little bit different because everyone's like sharing calendars and whatever. <laughs> but like, we'll stick with the 2 plus 2 example, whatever. 
So the issue is that we live in a world that views things incorrectly. We live in a world that views God incorrectly. We live in a world that views sin incorrectly. We live in a world where they're going to take things that are sinful and they're going to exalt them as really, really righteous. And they're going to take things that are really righteous and then call them sinful. For example, if you say that there's only one way to get into heaven, you're immediately called a bigot and it's called hate speech. Like people jump on that. That's a very common thing. When I was in high school, there was a specific girl that would like, she would see me in the hallway and she'd be wearing a shirt that said like no tolerance for intolerance. And she'd be like, hey, John, do you like my shirt? And like it actually made the teachers uncomfortable how often she would go at me with that kind of stuff. But that's the kind of world that we live in where that sentiment is very prominent and it's actually getting more prominent. If you stand on Christianity and you say Jesus is the only way, you're going to be facing a lot of things but you're also in a world that's going to be teaching you a bunch of stuff that isn't true. And Nehemiah is kind of in that situation in this chapter. We're going to be seeing Nehemiah surrounded on all sides by people lying to him. And we're going to be seeing how does he react to that? How does he function in that? How does he still accomplish his mission? Because all of us have a mission, right? We're existing in the world for a purpose. And so how are we supposed to function when everywhere we go, we're getting bad information? So first thing, is that enemies can lie to you. Enemies can lie to you. I guess I should emphasize the two because that's the important word in that. But enemies can lie to you. And this isn't as surprising. Like we expect enemies to lie to us, right? We expect people that are resisting us to be the source of bad stuff. And that happened in Nehemiah's case. In verse 1, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah the Ge and uh, Geshem the Arab. So Sanballat and Tobiah, these are the guys who have been resisting Nehemiah from very day one. As soon as he comes out into Jerusalem, these are the guys that are angry that they're rebuilding the walls. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors and the gates. So the wall's basically done. There's a few finishing touches. The doors need to be put in. Like there's a few things left, but the wall is at its full height all the way around Jerusalem. This is basically very close to mission accomplished. It's like we're right there. But notice that they heard that the wall was done, but Nehemiah clarifies, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So Nehemiah is like, you know, everyone else is hearing that I've finished the work, but I'm actually not quite there yet. So there's some honesty in that, which is kind of cool. But in verse 2, Sanblat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecathirim in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So the issue that you see here is that they're intending to do him harm. So they're saying, Hey, come meet with us. And this is like a very diplomatic thing because previously they were saying that they were going to kill him and Nehemiah was having to set a guard around Jerusalem because Sanblat and Tobiah were going to kill him and the people doing the work. So they started with outright aggression. They started with outright threatening and violence. And yes, these are people. So these are people, but they're people in high government positions. Oh, okay. So these are people that have other people at their disposal. So Sanballat and Tobiah are specific individuals, but they carry with them the force of groups. Okay. So that clarifies. But, where was I? Oh, it's because they started with outright aggression. But then when that didn't work, now they're trying to move to like shady tactics. And they're saying, hey, come meet with us. Let's discuss. Let's make an agreement. Let's make a treaty. Let's make a compromise. Let's compromise, Nehemiah. Come to the table with us. 
And Nehemiah is recognizing that, no, they actually want to do him harm. So they're probably doing this to kill him. They're going to pull him out into an open field. And like Cain and Abel, they're going to grab a rock and they're going to beat him. And so Nehemiah is recognizing this. And Nehemiah is in a pretty important position. He's the person who's the governor of the land. He's the person who's been, he's the one who started the work on the walls. He's the one who's been maintaining the work on the walls. And so they are recognizing that basically Jerusalem rises and falls with Nehemiah. And so they want to kill him. So Nehemiah refuses, but then they sent to me four more times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So they're being super persistent. Like these guys wanted nothing to do with Nehemiah, you know, a few weeks ago, but all of a the sudden they're really set on having him come out into this field out somewhere so that we can totally just talk Nehemiah, I swear. And Nehemiah is refusing. And so that's the place that we start. Enemies can lie to you. Like, it's not at all surprising that Sanballat and Tobiah are the source of this, like, dishonesty. It's not at all surprising that the same two people that have been resisting Nehemiah from the very beginning are now continuing to do the exact same thing. And the issue is that that's basically, like, that's the world that we live in. We live in a world where we can kind of look around and we can recognize, like, okay, obviously these groups are going to resist the church. Obviously, you know, false religions are going to resist the church. Obviously, atheists are going to resist the church. Obviously, like, you can kind of go down that list, and it's not surprising most of the areas that this is going to be coming from. You know, in John 16, too, Jesus says this describing the world, specifically the Jews. But he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And so Jesus is saying this to disciples and he's just saying, hey, following me is going to have a price. And this is that price. People are going to persecute you and think that they're being righteous, which we saw that in the pace in the uh, in the pace. We saw that in the case of Paul, where Paul was there when they stoned Stephen to death. And it said that he gave hearty approval to it. And he was with zeal persecuting the church, thinking that he was doing service to God as a Jew. But also, this describes people in the modern day. I told you guys about that girl who would go around with me and she would call me all kinds of things throughout high school. And she wasn't the only one, but she was the main one. But she was doing that because she labeled me as intolerant and hateful. She called me all kinds of things. Yeah. For what? Uh, for basically when I said things like homosexuality is sinful... Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven. Islam is a false religion. Like these were things that I wasn't closed off about. And I didn't go around and follow people and be mean to them. Like I wasn't trying, like most of my friends were gay actually. So it's not like I actually hated gay people. Not at all. But also God has a standard and I wasn't, I didn't hide that. And also I shared the gospel accurately, which included only way stuff, which is not a popular thing to say. And so those things kind of, resulted in her really not liking me and she felt like she was doing righteousness like literally jesus says in doing so they think they are being righteous and that's exactly where she was she was thinking that she was like reading leading this uh crusade against you know those hateful bigoted conservative christians who hate everyone and think everyone should burn in hell and like that's basically how she characterized me and that wasn't the case but that's where we were and that's exactly the situation that we're in like look around the United States. And the stuff that are really, really popular are things like tolerance. And I put quotes around tolerance because they're not very tolerant of us. Like I was a whole lot more tolerant of that girl than she was of me. And the issue is like, that's the world that we're in. In John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus kind of echoes that. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, your guys are a minority. Elsewhere, he says that narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there are many who are on it. And so, like, we are the minority. And so Jesus is saying, they're going to hate you. That's not surprising. And so for us, it's not difficult to imagine that like, oh yeah, hostility and opposition comes from the outside world. And that's exactly what's happening to Nehemiah. And so how are you supposed to deal with it? When you have a bunch of stuff coming at you from the outside world, how are you supposed to deal with that? And the answer is be rooted in truth. Nehemiah, his response was to go right back to the work that he was supposed to be doing. He's like, you guys are trying to get me away from building the walls. That's exactly the thing I'm supposed to be doing. No not going to be going out and meet with you. And he focused on the things that he was supposed to be doing. He focused on the things that were supposed to be his goal. And that kept him away from the distractions that were around him. And in Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so for us, one of the foremost things is that you should be reading your Bibles. You know, I've heard someone um, refer to this as like brainwashing. It's like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta wash the gunk out of your brain, right? Which we kind of have a very negative connotation with that. But if you're walking through the world and the entire world is just this mud pit, wouldn't you want a shower afterward? Like if you walked through a bunch of dirt and grime and manure, you probably want to get cleaned afterward. And the issue is that as Christians, we're walking through the world and the world is full of nastiness. And so you're supposed to be routinely taking a shower, i.e. reading the Bible, renewing your mind, thinking about what's true and reminding yourself of the truth because you've got a lot of people that are trying to throw you off. But it's not just that enemies will lie to you. Enemies will also lie about you. Enemies will also lie about you. They'll lie to you. They'll lie about you. Because after Nehemiah doesn't accept the letter, notice the next thing that they do. In verse 5, in the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, after he sent them that letter four times, excuse me, after he sent them that letter four times, trying to lure him out into a field, now he sends him another letter. And in this letter, it was written, or sorry, in uh, the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, meaning this is a public matter. This is not private between Sanballat and Nehemiah, but this is something that's actually public to everyone. Like this might've been posted up on something else, like on a wall or whatever. Um, and in it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So they've been saying, hey, Nehemiah, come out and talk to us, man. But now they're coming to him and they're saying, all of the nations know me and another leader are both confirming that the reason you're doing this is because you're trying to set yourself up as a king. You're building the walls so that Israel can rebel. And if you guys remember, like way back into our very first Nehemiah message, remember when I was talking to you guys about World War II and like rebuilding militaries and all that stuff? And how when Nehemiah is talking to the king, yeah. Uh, I'm not specifically aware of what the current political stuff is. I believe that they have like a defense force. They don't have an invasion force, but yeah. Um, but I was talking about like when Nehemiah is saying, hey, can I rebuild the walls? He's essentially saying, can I build up my military capabilities against you? Can I make it really hard for you to conquer us if we rebel? 
And we talked about how like that's a really alarming thing for someone who Israel has a history of rebelling. History, Israel was a military powerful nation at one point. Israel got conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And then after being conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, it rebelled and had to get reconquered by Nebuchadnezzar. Like that's why the walls in the city were destroyed in the first place is because the second time around, they had to just destroy everything. So when Nehemiah is saying, hey, let me rebuild the walls, there's actually a little fear in the back of the king's head of, okay, what is he going to do with these? And so when these rumors are getting spread that Nehemiah is trying to make himself king and rebel against the country, they're kind of believable. That was weird. <laughs> they're kind of believable. There was something in, yeah, there was something stuck in my teeth. I don't know. It tasted weird. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to like cut this out of the recording later. <laughs> there's going to be no context for any of this. It's like, that was weird. Anyways, so there's something believable about that. Like there's something believable about them going to the king and saying, hey, Nehemiah is rebelling. Me, all of the people in the nation, and this other political leader can all confirm that Nehemiah is trying to make himself a king. So let me ask you, if the king catches wind of this and he believes them, what is he going to do? Take him out. He's going to kill Nehemiah. Rebellion is not an acceptable thing. Treason is not an acceptable thing. And not only will they kill Nehemiah, but they're probably going to break down the walls again and destroy the city again. Because, oh, you use these walls to set up base to resist us? Okay, down they go. So not only would they be killing Nehemiah, but they would be undoing all of the work that he's been doing up to this point. And this is something that I think a lot of us can kind of appreciate and understand. Not in the sense that we like are put in situations where dishonesty can kill us, but we all know what rumors are like. We all know what gossip is like. All of us have been slandered. And probably more often than we should, we've been the ones doing the slandering. But Nehemiah is in a situation where he's potentially going to get killed for what they're saying about him. In Proverbs 16, 27, it says, A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Which, think about what fire does, like a scorching fire. Think about wildfires and all that they're able to destroy. Have you ever seen situations where someone starts with like a small fib and it turns into a massive issue? turns into a massive web that they have to like maintain and a bunch of people's feelings get hurt, a bunch of people's reputations get destroyed. Like that kind of thing happens. And in Nehemiah's case, it's a little bit more lethal. But what you say matters. But also what see people say about you matters. That was a good pop. Holy cow. It was. So, <laughs> so let's see what Nehemiah responds with. After they're coming to him and they're saying, oh, you're trying to make yourself king, Nehemiah replies and he says, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. In other words, liars. He's basically calling them and he's like, you know, that's not true. Everyone knows that's not true. You're making this up and I know it. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So the issue is, if Nehemiah and all of the people working on the walls, if the king thinks that they're rebelling and the king comes back with an army to kill them, one of the reasons that Sanballat and Tobiah are telling them this is because if you think that a bunch of armies are going to be coming for you to kill you, you might just get out of Dodge. Nehemiah and the people are going to be facing a strong temptation to just run away, to get away from the city, to disassociate themselves with the work of building the wall, because when an army comes marching in, they don't want to be there. And so Nehemiah would reasonably be afraid in this situation. And the issue is we get to look back on this situation. We get to look back on this and be like, oh, God worked it out. Nehemiah was living it in the moment. And he had to have faith before actually seeing it work out. 
And so Nehemiah prays. He says, God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah knows that there is still a work that he's supposed to be doing. He knows that he still has a task from God. And even though an army of the most powerful nation in the world might be at his doorstep before he knows, because for all he knows, Sanballat and Tobiah have already sent this message off to the king. So Nehemiah is just looking at this and he's saying, okay, there might be an army on the horizon. I don't know, but I have a responsibility. And this is where you kind of see Nehemiah as a person of faith. Like Nehemiah was a guy of action. He was a man of action. He set up all kinds of things. He was the one who set up guards. He was the one who's actually going and building the wall. Like this is a very active guy, but you see that he has a lot of faith because he's leaving himself in an extremely dangerous situation. And think about that for us. We don't necessarily live life in the exact same circumstances that Nehemiah did, but we need to be willing to do the right thing even when there are consequences. And right now that doesn't include physical harm, but give it 20 years. You know, all through history, the church has been persecuted for the last 2,000 years. The times where the church wasn't persecuted have been the exception. And so we are in a situation where we live in a country where we can be openly Christian, and then the worst thing that we have to endure for that is some girl calling us intolerant. But there is going to be a time, eventually, where that's no longer the case. That might be in our lifetimes. That might be in 10 years. That might be in 20 years. But it will come eventually. I'm hoping that we don't live to see it. But it is on its way. And the issue is, when we're in that situation, are we going to be like Nehemiah? Are we going to be the people who are willing to do the work even when there is a threat? Even when we might have to pay for it? And so, there's another thing. Ultimately, who's in control of people's reputations? God. God. In Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. When Nehemiah has rumors that are being spread around him, about him, that he's trying to lead a rebellion, what he does is he addresses the rumor. He says, yeah, that's not true. You're making it up. But the issue is, if they weren't making it up, that's exactly what Nehemiah would say. If Nehemiah were actually trying to lead a rebellion, he'd probably say, oh, no, guys, you're just making that up in your own mind. That's not true at all. I wouldn't do that. No. Like he would, like this is how he would respond. He would, of course, say, yeah, you're making that up because he doesn't want a message to get sent to the king. So the issue is that this is kind of like a game that's played in the realm of people's perceptions. And so Nehemiah is saying, yeah, that's not true. I know that I have a task from God. I'm just going to focus on doing that task. I'm going to focus on doing and being the person that I'm supposed to be and let God handle it. And God does. When it comes down to it, no army comes on the horizon. Whether or not this message even got sent to the king, the king didn't believe it if he got it. And that's a big deal because ultimately the person who's in control of that is God. And there are situations where your reputation might be slandered for doing the right thing and you could be like tempted to do the wrong thing in order to win people's opinions of you. But the thing is, God's in control of that. And if you sin against God, he might decide to take your reputation anyway. Or you might be in a situation where you do the right thing and you think that that's going to lead to a bad reputation for yourself and then God lets you keep a good reputation anyways. And ultimately, when you try to live your life for the perceptions of people, it's a losing game because you're not even in control of that anyways. God is. So do what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah focused on what he did. He focused on his task and he said, you know what, whatever comes, whatever happens, I have a responsibility and I'm going to do it. Be people like that. But there's a last thing. It's always easier when lies come from enemies. But the thing is, lies can come, I before E except after C, 
friends. Lies can come from people that you think are your friends. They can come from perceived friends. And the issue is that Nehemiah wasn't just getting lies told to him and about him from people that he knew were his enemies. He also had it coming from within his inner circles. In verse 10, it says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So this is a prophet, and this prophet says to Nehemiah, Hey man, people are coming to kill you at night. You're going to get assassinated. Come with me. Let's take refuge in the temple. And that's pretty believable. People have been trying to kill Nehemiah for a pretty long time at this point. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what man as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So Nehemiah refuses. He's like, the temple is this holy place that's meant for the worship of God. And I'm going to use it as a, as a, um, a haven. I'm going to hide myself in there. I'm going to demonstrate to the entire world that I'm a coward. Like from this point, from the entire point of the story, Nehemiah has been with the people, working with them, sleeping with them in all of the same danger and hardship that they've been in. He's been one of the people who's, been just, who's just been sleeping in Jerusalem with his sword on his side. Like Nehemiah has been going through the thick of it with all of the people that he's been leading. And now he's being asked to kind of set himself apart, to use the temple of God to protect himself while everyone else risks them, their own lives. And Nehemiah refuses. He says, yeah, I'm not doing that. And then in verse 12, And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Like they tried to start a rumor about him that was based on nothing, and now they were trying to get him to do something that they could actually rightly accuse him for. And he says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So he essentially gives us one example of a single person and what they did. But then he says, this is actually representative of a way bigger thing. There were a bunch of prophets all trying to get Nehemiah to do the wrong thing. And now let me ask you, what is a prophet supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be speaking on behalf of God. God. All of these people that were supposed to be the people giving Nehemiah the truth, the people that were responsible to give Nehemiah the truth, were exactly the ones that were being hired and paid off to lie to him, to deceive him, and to harm him. And something's really ironic about that. Sanblat and Tobiah were accusing Nehemiah of hiring prophets to call him a king. And then who hired prophets? Sanblat and Tobiah. <laughs> The exact people that were like, you know, pot calling the kettle black kind of thing. Or I guess more, more accurately, pot calling the white porcelain black. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not always the people that you can expect lies from that are going to lie to you. Like the modern day equivalent of a prophet is a pastor. And the issue is, it's not just outside. It's not just the culture around us that's going to lie to us about what's sinful and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. It's also people who have pulpits. It's people who stand behind a pulpit in the middle of a so-called church claiming to speak for God that are exactly the ones that are going to lie to you. 
you know, Acts 20, 29 through 30, it says, I know that after I leave, this is Paul teach, uh, talking to a bunch of church elders before he goes off to Rome where he's going to eventually get killed. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So there are people who call themselves pastors. There are people who are going to stand right where I'm standing and who are going to say all kinds of things to you that are not true. But it's not just them. It's also the other people that maybe they're not pastors. They're just other people in your life with you. If we keep reading in verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month in Elul in 52 days. So they finished the wall in 52 days. It's pretty impressive. So the wall finishes. Spoiler alert. Victory. Uh, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Which, yeah. Um, from day one, Nehemiah has had people who have been trying to kill him, who have been lying to him, who have been deceiving the people who've been doing the work with him. He's had to deal with infighting from the own people he was like leading. And so, yeah, people see that this extraordinary work happened very quickly in the midst of a ton of opposition that brings God glory. Absolutely. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Arah, and his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So many names. Oh my gosh, okay. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So basically, what he's just said is that all the nobles of Judah have intermarried with Tobiah's family, and they are all on Tobiah's side. So this person who's been threatening and trying to kill Nehemiah from the beginning um, also happens to have a bunch of really good friends among all of the people that would be around Nehemiah. Like all of the nobles of Judah, the same people that last chapter were exploiting the poor, are exactly the ones that are like, you know, in cahoots with Tobiah. And so it says that they were telling Tobiah everything that Nehemiah didn't said. So they're essentially spies in the camp and that they kept telling Nehemiah about how great Tobiah was. Like basically Nehemiah is getting gaslit as this person's like trying to kill him, trying to harm him, who is constantly threatening him, who just sent a letter starting a rumor about him. All of this is happening, and everyone around Nehemiah is saying, Nehemiah, it's all in your head, man. Tobiah is great. He's so kind. He's really nice. He thinks you're awesome, man. Tobiah doesn't hate you. Tobiah thinks you're great. You're, what are you thinking, man? Like, Tobiah is literally getting gaslit for the entire time that he's building this wall. And this is coming from people that are Israelites, the nobles of Judah. And so it's not just the pastor that's going to necessarily mislead you, but the people sitting next to you in church might do it. And that's not the ideal. You should really find a church where that happens as little as possible. But the thing is, that kind of thing happens. There are people who sat next to me in school who raised their hands and said they were Christians and then proceeded to do everything that a Christian should never do, to say everything that a Christian should never say. And when I was trying to interact with people and share the gospel with people, when I was having conversations with people about all of the issues that God talks about, and when I was taking those stands, there were three people next to me who all said that they were also Christians and said, yeah, I don't agree with anything he just said. And the issue is, as you go out into the world and as you try to minister there, as you try to minister in the church sometimes, there will be other people who call themselves Christians 
that are going to oppose you. And it's easier when the opposition comes from outside and it's a whole lot harder when the opposition comes from people that you're supposed to be able to trust. And that's exactly the situation that Nehemiah was in. The prophets were lying to him. The other Israelites were lying to him. And they were both in cahoots to try to get him to walk away from the work that God had given him. And so, how do you deal with that? When you're in a situation and you've got dishonesty coming at you from outside, you've got dishonesty coming at you from inside, the leaders that are supposed to be teaching you the truth don't know the first thing about it, how are you supposed to deal with that? How are you supposed to be on guard against that? And there are two ways. Way number one is that you're supposed to know the Bible yourself. We did the entire spiritual discipline series where I talked to you guys about reading the Bible. And even during the message on church, I was telling you part of going to church is knowing the Bible on your own. We've talked about that, you know, in a bunch of other situations too, but it's really, really important that you know the Bible yourself, that you're reading it yourself. In Acts 17, 11, it says now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These are talking about the Bereans because they received the world word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Like when Paul and Barnabas are coming to a town and they're sharing the gospel with them, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, those people in that town were checking up on him and reading the Bible to make sure what he said was accurate. I'm a lot less faithful than Paul. You guys should be checking up on me too. Because one day, when I'm not here anymore, when there's someone different or you're in a different church and you're listening to some pastor who's lying to you about what the Bible says, who doesn't know the first thing about it, we can't be your source of truth. I cannot be your source of truth. The pastor cannot be your source of truth. Your parents cannot be your source of truth. Your friends cannot be your source of truth. The school system cannot be your source of truth. And there are good things, and there are people who will tell you good things. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you the truth of God. Of God. But you need to be reading it yourself, just in case I'm not. But then, there's another one. You can look at their deeds. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, these nobles that are trying to like gaslight him, it says that they were refusing to do the work of the wall. That they, they couldn't stoop down to the level of doing God's will. And the issue is, these exact like, officials that are gaslighting him are the same ones that were exploiting the poor people. They're the same ones that are refusing to actually do the work to put themselves in harm's way, the exact same way that Nehemiah was. And it's no surprise that they were also the ones that were gaslighting him. So watch people's lives. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about false prophets and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Look at the, look at the life that someone lives. It's going to tell you a lot about whether or not you can trust the things that they tell you about the truth. If you look at someone and they're unrighteous, they're gossips, they're, they're immoral, they're angry, if you look at people like that, don't be surprised when they give you advice and it's bad advice. So all that to say, Nehemiah had a big work to do and he had to do it in a lot of opposition. He was surrounded by people on all sides who were deceiving him, who were lying to him, who were trying to harm him. And when he was in that situation, he stood firm and he stood with God. And there are times when you're going to have to stand alone. There are times when everyone else in the room with you is either not a Christian or they claim to be a Christian and you're going to have to stand on what God says alone. In order to do that, you have to know what God says. But also, you have to be ready to do that. It's not easy. So, with that, let's bow our heads, pray it out, and we'll have some discussions. Lord, thank you that you give us examples. Thank you that you give us people like Nehemiah 
people who were in difficult circumstances that even though none of us are going to be, you know, leading a band of Israelites out to Jerusalem to build the wall, not many of us are going to be government leaders. Lord, even so, we're going to be in situations where we're surrounded by falsehood. We're going to be in situations where teachers are trying to mislead us, where friends are trying to mislead us. We're going to be in situations where even the pastor isn't giving us what we need. We're going to be in situations where even Christians are encouraging us to go down the wrong path. And Lord, I pray that in these situations that we would be able to rely on what you say in your word and that we would be able to rely on you. You have a work for each of us to do. You have a job for each of us to do. And I pray that you would help us to do it and to do it well. And I pray that you would help us to trust you as we do it. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen. I wasn't watching a timer while I was doing that. Hopefully.